Hey, hey, welcome back to His Heritage Podcast. This is KJ. Today on the podcast, Dom and I are not joined by a guest. Instead, what we're going to do is take a little bit of time to get into the history and the tradition and the theology of the Wesleyan or Methodist church tradition or stream. Uh, It's the tradition that we come out of, and so we're super excited to have a conversation where we dive kind of deep into the history, the roots, where all this comes from, and uh, hopefully gain a little bit of inspiration for how we can better follow Jesus in light of that tradition. So I hope you all enjoy this episode. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and give us a follow on Instagram. Thank y'all for listening. All right. All right. Here we are. Episode six. Episode six is what it is. Episode six. Man, I'm starting to have to do math, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, plus one. Right. Right. I don't know. For me, it's... Sometimes it, it catches me. It's something. It is something. Six. Uh, you know, when we first started this podcast, um, KJ and I started it off together with just me and you. Um, and something that's been on our hearts to do again for everyone and for ourselves even just to have fun and have a conversation is to do one with just me and KJ again um, and yeah. kind of jump into some stuff. But yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and yeah, the, I mean, the the... A, a big part of the vision is having these different leaders on from these different traditions and um that's been super cool to do it but i think it is cool for us even even in the early stages of this thing that's just getting going now with this podcast for us to take a minute and um you know get get back to where we come from and to kind of break down a little bit of like our personal uh lineage and our personal uh tradition that we come from and yeah so i'm i'm excited to uh to just be able to talk and do this yeah and so i know a lot of you guys may not have listened to the first episode or the second maybe you jumped in on the fourth or the third um and really what um we kind of want to accomplish today and what kj has been saying is talk about kind of i don't want to say expertise but like kind of like the area that we come from mm-hmm. uh, by no means are we experts um sure. but uh, kind of diving into the the stuff that we know a little bit about um, our own personal church history, personally, corporately, um, and talking about what it means for us today, uh, mm-hmm. and how you know a lot of times you can look back on the testimony of you know historical figures, testimony that where Jesus led them, He'll lead us again. You know yeah. what Jesus, has, the power of you know of testimony. Is that what he did for another? He'll do it again. Sure. Um, and so I think as we look back on, you know, today we're going to jump into, you know, a little bit of the Methodist history, the Wesleyan history, yep. and understand that, you know, God, God still moves in ways like that. Yeah, and that he's done really special things inside that tradition that we're the direct beneficiaries of. Yeah, it, it, it's like, I mean, just just a an inheritance that, you know, we just are extremely grateful, uh, for how it's poured into our lives. Um, and we didn't do anything to earn it, anything to get it, anything to anything really. And now we're sitting in a spot where, you know, their, their floors are, are their ceilings are our floors. Uh, and what we need to do is, you know, remember that, but also press on and press forward. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Let's do it. Well, let's talk a little bit about like our individual spot, kind of what our upbringing was and how we got to where we are. So what we typically do when we bring on guests here um, is we ask them a little bit about 
hey, how'd you become a pastor of this church in this denomination? What happened to you? Um, and so we'll start with KJ, kind of a little bit about, hey, how'd you find yourself um, in, you know, pretty, we'll do it pretty quick, but like, how'd you find yourself being a worship leader at a Wesleyan church? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, I, my story is, um, I grew up not going to church, not being a, um, a Christian. And, uh, so I was, I was pretty much for the most of my life, I was, um, I guess I would classify myself as like agnostic, um, or I kind of saw myself as so funny. I saw myself kind of within the, the, the deist tradition or the deist tradition, which was like the, just the idea. Well, it was big in the enlightenment and it was the idea that, you know, cause these enlightenment guys, they were starting to get a little weirded out about Christianity and maybe some of the more supernatural elements of it and stuff like that. But they were having a hard time dispensing of the notion of God. So they came up with this kind of, um, religious philosophy. And the, the basic idea was that, um, there's a God that created everything. Okay. But he set things into motion and then basically left them alone. And so there's still a belief in a creator God because I just I couldn't wrap my mind around the world that I lived in existing apart from some sort of a intelligent creator. So I always had that that part was always a part of my thing. But I didn't actually become a Christian until I was um, 21. Mm-hmm. And my um, my actual f- so I had several touch points with Christianity early on. You were one of them, Dom, when you were in high school. At the end of high school, you you became a Christian, and a bunch of our other friends did. My brother had become a Christian while we were in high school. Um, but me personally, where things really started to shift was I, I had gone off to college and failed out at of Towson University after two years. And I came home, and um, I really needed a job. So I started working with Pastor Clark, who is the pastor of our church, and just got really— um, immersed in a culture of like devotion to Jesus and people who just really love him and were chasing after him and living their lives for him. And, um, that combined with my exposure to the gospel and like who Jesus was, I just slowly began to get drawn in. So by the time I was, you know, right around my 21st birthday, I was at a spot where I was, I was ready to accept him. And so I, uh, I gave my life over to him and, and, decided that what I was whatever else I was going to do with the rest of my life I was going to follow him so I uh, I I gave my life to Jesus and as I did that it took place here at this church which is a Wesleyan church so I kind of fell into this tradition not necessarily as someone who was super thoughtful about theology or anything but just as a dude who had a contact point with someone who was a member of this tradition being Pastor Clark and that's what um drew me in and then eventually getting to the position of worship leader was just was just a series of events where uh I had somewhat of a proclivity for music and I had a new kind of affection for Jesus and those things collided in a way at the time where there was an opportunity for um people to serve in that role and uh yeah so so you know within the I would say I guess it was three years after I started coming to church I I really started leading worship on Sunday mornings and maybe a year after that I became the full-time worship leader here and have been doing that ever since my wife Jordan and I I I find it um super interesting uh, and I think this is important for people to to realize a lot of times like we we people fall into the theology that they become a part of and it's because there was an evangelical part or wing or whatever it may be or a person in your life that um ministered to you that happened to be a part of that theology or denomination or whatever it may be absolutely and so having having that mindset of like hey 
um, I fell into mm-hmm. uh, the Wesleyan Church. Uh, I think it is super cool for everyone to understand that like God is, you know, moving in a million different ways than you can even think. That's great. Yep. That I agree. You know, not only is He like trying to, you know, become, you know, uh, trying to be your Savior and 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 reach you out of the pits of wherever you are. But also, like he's moving like a couple other, you know, chess chess moves ahead of you, mm-hmm. and be like, hey, like also like this is a Wesleyan church, and I think that would be a good spot for you to be too. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, I think it's also important to, to to acknowledge that people, you know, have similar have similar experiences in all the different traditions, you uh-huh. know, and 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 so um, I'm super grateful for the tradition that we're a part of. But it, it is kind of happenstance that I fell into it, and uh, but yeah, so so that's. That's uh that's basically my story. Why don't you break down kind of the the short version of how you got to be in the spot chair as a part of this this Wesleyan ministry as well? Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think that's super cool that um like folks like don't sit there with like a bunch of like open like theology books and they're like I am deciding that I'm choosing to be yeah whatever Baptist whatever it is and I I I love how God you know can kind of be the uh, the um the funnel or the the organizer for it all yeah um for a lot of people uh so for me um i grew up with amazing parents that loved the lord uh and i grew up in a catholic church Mm -hmm. um and it was um something that was awesome for a lot of people in the church um and i and so me personally um grew up in the catholic church I just kind of uh, took everything as just like Bible stories. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you'd hear about Jonah, you'd hear about Job, you'd hear about Jesus, baby in a manger. Like you just start memorizing Bible stories. Um, you know, you go through, you know, your first Holy Communion, you go through your confirmation, all those things. You kind of check boxes. Sure. Um, I never really personally made like a decision uh, ever um, to follow Christ. But I always like, if someone like came up to me, it was like, Hey man, do you believe in Jesus? I'd be like, yeah, man, what's wrong with you? Of course yeah, right. I do, bro. Go on. Right. You know, rock flag and Eagle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it was, um, it was just like something that I felt like I was supposed to say yes to, mm-hmm. but also I, to be honest with you, I, I don't know if I ever, if I did. Right. Um, and I, I firmly believe it was, um, a mixture of me being, just like having like whether it's teenage angst or just like being um a young boy or a man that just like didn't want to really receive whatever was being given to me at that time mm-hmm. um and so for i just never gave it the time of day and so now i go to high school mm-hmm. and i and i go to church every sunday with my parents right. um my parents you know talk about jesus in the house and everything but it was never something for me to like ever like contribute into or like buy into yeah right um and so then i go to high school and you know i start living my own life and kind of like just picture your typical like high school baseball football player Mm -hmm. that uh decides to just you know live that lifestyle of you know just being a high school dumb boy shock yeah really Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah you know if you go back and listen to our pastor clark episode uh, he has a funny uh, way of describing me in those days. So if you want to go back to episode two, yeah, and I'll let you guys find that one out for yourselves. Yeah. Um, but then um, Pastor Clark Bazden, who is the uh, senior pastor of Difference Makers Church, which is the church we go to, which is a Wesleyan church, has a son named Caleb Bazden. Yeah. 
Uh, and Caleb Bazin is a year younger than me, and he went to the same high school as me. And so he is the one that pursued me. Uh, he played football with me and invited me and a bunch of our friends um, to a summer camp. Yeah. And at that summer camp is where I realized that no, even though I say I believe in Jesus, I don't know Jesus. Yeah, right. Um, and there I gave my life to Christ. And um, really, it just, that's how I found myself in a Wesleyan denomination, was just kind of through the same kind of story that a lot of people find them their own selves in a Wesleyan denomination is that there's someone, or like any denomination, mm -hmm. whatever it is, there's someone that cared about you enough from that denomination to help you open your eyes. Yeah, and you fell into it. And fallen into it. Yeah. And so um, it was a funny, like, like I remember I was, like, nervous to tell my dad that, like, I was like, hey, dad, um, I I got, I I gave my life to Christ. And mm -hmm. he's like, well, haven't you already done that, yeah. son? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, so I don't, I'm not trying to disappoint you. I don't, yeah. no, I never did. Um, but also, dad, um, I want to start going to, and I'm, and I'm 17, 18 years old. And I'm like, dad, I want to start going to a different church. And I'm terrified to tell my dad this because right. I grew up in an Irish, Irish Catholic, Italian, uh, Irish Catholic, Italian house, Irish Italian Catholic house. And where <laughs> it is just like, my family's very Catholic. Yeah. Uh, sure. And I was like nervous, like, like, cause I just knew no one in my family to ever leave the Catholic church and go to a different church. And my dad was just like, yeah, as long as you're loving Jesus, man. Yeah. Let's that's go. Awesome. Let's do this. And I, it was it was a really cool story because like he just showed me like the father's heart in that mm -hmm. moment of me being like, all right, I'm gonna come to my dad, yeah, and I'm gonna seal this deal. Or I'm gonna ask him, and and I expected a you know a no or a right like a like you've betrayed me like, I, like yeah like, yeah, yeah sure. like a weird response mm -hmm. and it was just like man as long as you're loving Jesus man that's amazing. Which is awesome, and that's cool because that's like a that's actually in your story that's a real that's a real clashing of the traditions. Even you coming home and telling your dad like I devoted my life to Christ. That idea, even that idea, is inherent to a, a specific Christian tradition, like the that kind of uh, what do they call it? like decision theology. The mm -hmm. idea that you have to have a moment where you make the call mm -hmm. that you're going to follow Jesus, and you know, like I guess from the Catholic perspective, you're incorporated in the church from the moment you're baptized as a baby, and that decision doesn't really enter into the equation. You just are what you are, and so it's cool. It's super cool that your dad, when at the crossroads of those different way, ways of thinking, was just like, dude, I don't care. You love Jesus. That's awesome. Yeah. Get I, after it. Yeah, I love my dad. Uh, I love my parents. Yeah, um, you got good folks. And and so there, there's a brief point, like, and this is like. Um, a very short point, uh, in my life where like, I kind of had it in my heart a little bit that, um, like the Catholic church let me down. Like when I first got yeah, saved yeah, yeah. and, uh, it was like, you, you look back on it and you Monday morning quarterback it and you're just like, what an awful position mm -hmm. to be in. And what I realized, and we talked about this on episode two with pastor Clark, mm -hmm. what I realized is all of that information and all of that teaching and all of that, you know, leading from my parents and, and that in the Catholic church, you know, was somewhere in the back of my brain. But then once I came and I met Christ, all of that stuff just like immediately just was like rocket fuel to me. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and, and it really created me to be in a great spot. And so when we look at like 
our lives where, you know, maybe you did grow up in church. Maybe you grew up in church and you were like, man, they never did a great job of sharing the gospel with me or whatever you may want to think. But then you get to this spot where God is weaving it all together for Mm -hmm. his good. And so I I just honor the Catholic Church and what they mean to my life personally and what they did for me. Mm -hmm. And the spot that I'm in right now does not exist without their influence in my life. Yeah. And so I think it, I think that also points to the heart of what this podcast is about is just honoring these different beliefs and keeping that main thing, the main thing, because mm-hmm. God will weave all of us together, guys. He'll weave us all together for his good, Yeah. you know, and the stuff that doesn't matter will get left. Yep. And it will. Yep. That's yeah. great. And that's awesome. So that's, that's both of us. We, we end up falling into this tradition that we're a part of, but, um, I mean, e- both of our stories, I think, even demonstrate the way that both of us didn't come in with a knowledge of Wesleyan theology. No. We didn't have any ideas about that. We didn't have any preconceived Zero. notion. We met Jesus at a place, but we met Jesus at a place, and that place happened to be here, and yeah. and um, which is glorious and beautiful. And uh, But you and I have both kind of been on a little bit of a journey in the last year, maybe a little more, mm-hmm. of digging into the actual not just our tradition, but the the various Christian traditions, but starting kind of with our tradition yeah. and growing a appreciation for it and seeing the beauty of it and, and actually even coming to recognize the ways that it has influenced uh, us and the way that we follow Jesus and all that. So um, why don't we get into a little bit of that, like the the history of this movement that we are a part of and kind of how it took shape and then, you know, let that launch us into kind of our deeper understanding of it as we have it now. And, uh, yeah. 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 Um, I think, uh, a cool little caveat to give you guys is me and KJ, well, KJ kind of is a professor, but, uh, <laughs> high school history teacher is not a professor. I, I do not count. <laughs> I, I'd give you, I'd give you the nod, dude. I think all of us would. Um, but so, we are by no means experts. Uh, we're not theologians. We're not, you know, historical doctors or anything like that. But um, we do find all of this stuff very interesting, and um, we do believe that we have um, a pretty good understanding of of this stuff. So that being said, all the things that we're saying today, you you might want to jump into them a little bit deeper mm-hmm. on your own. So as you hear things about John Wesley or even his brother Charles Wesley and and in the Methodist and Wesleyan movements, um, maybe do a little bit of your own little fun research because there's some stuff that we're not gonna hit on that is that is a rabbit hole that is so much fun. Yeah, we're gonna be a super high wide angle lens, you know, kind of flyover of of the history, and uh, you know, I'm sure that we'll touch down in theology and stuff like that too. But you're right, there's there's you could spend a lifetime diving into just the details of this tradition, and so there's there's kind of no end to where you can go with it. Yeah. Yeah. So let's let's start with uh, kind of. So. All right. So we'll backtrack uh, real quick for you. So uh, the Wesleyan Church uh, branched off the Methodist Church. And so to even give you our story, we really need to talk and start with John Wesley, who founded the Methodist Church movement movement. Yeah. And so John Wesley, um, John Wesley was born in England, correct? Mm -hmm. Uh, Born in England. 
um, and he was educated at Oxford. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this is kind of where this whole movement takes place when John Wesley, you know, starts becoming of age where, um, you know, you start wanting to learn stuff and, you know, be a big boy. Um, and so he's at Oxford and his brother Charles goes to Oxford with him. Yep. Um, and KJ, a little bit, uh, Charles is a pretty, we're not going to talk too much about Charles, but Charles is actually really tight, right? Yeah. Ch- so Charles, so w- John Wesley usually gets most of the attention because he's the guy who, who did a lot of the theological writing and, and, um, kind of really shaped the, the core theology of the Methodist movement. But his brother Charles, um, was really important too, because he wrote, um, tons of music and was basically like a partner in ministry and ended up writing the songs that would kind of be like the the soundtrack that accompanies this movement that's happening in uh, England and then expanding expanding out beyond um you know into America and then and then even beyond but yeah I mean the dude the dude wrote awesome music we still sing his songs today like uh Hark the Herald Angels sing <laughs> it's so sick Charles Wesley yeah <laughs> so so he's he's a super important um figure in the history of christian music and has had a had a big impact so yeah it's good to touch on that yeah you should know that as a as a uh worship pastor i've had to do a lot of backfilling you know because coming into it as a as a not growing up in church and listening to music and stuff i've been trying to backlog kind of my my church music history a little bit (laughs) yeah you gotta get you gotta get the hymns sometimes for the crowd 100 percent. yeah so we're so um john wesley charles wesley they both went to oxford um, and John Wesley was, um, he was actually an Anglican priest. So the, well, let's touch on Anglican real quick. KJ Anglican, the Anglican church is okay. So Anglican church is the church of England. Um, kind of happened the, the, the church of England split off from the Catholic church kind of concurrently with, um, a lot of what was going on with the, the broader Protestant reformation, which we're not going to get into, but, but it's. All, it's in the same um, kind of uh, political and and social and theological landscape in Europe when all that is happening. And so um, the Church of England kind of split off for political reasons. It was King Henry VIII um, established it after uh, you know he had he had some some he he ended up brushing up against the Catholic Church because he wanted to have a marriage annulled. Request was denied, and then so it he he basically establishes the the Anglican Church as um, the state church of England and its head authority is the monarch. So they basically detached themselves from the Roman Church and the papacy and they established their own church, which which historically it went through a whole lot of movements in the in the early years, you know, in those first 100, 200 years, there were a lot of movements back and forth, but um, really followed a lot after kind of the pattern of the Catholic Church being um, super liturgical and um, kind of high church, mm-hmm. uh, the way that they practiced it, having a sacramental system, all of those kinds of things, which are key aspects of Roman Catholic um, faith got carried over into the Anglican Church. Really, the key distinction was where the authority rests. Yeah. So that's the church that the Wesleys are a part of and where this movement is birthed out of is the that that church which was established in the 16th century and yeah yeah so this is where we get into some fun stuff so John Wesley um he's at Oxford uh he's he, he becomes an ordained Anglican priest um and so that's that's who he is he's an ordained Anglican priest 
Uh, but he starts these things called the Holy Club. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is where we begin to see uh, this is where we begin to see the Methodist movement. Mm-hmm. So the Holy Club uh, is so cool to me. Uh, and so it becomes like it's kind of if you guys want to think about it this way, it's kind of like the first ever like accountability group, small group, <laughs> <laughs> like 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 straight up. They're like confessing their sins to one another mm-hmm. and yeah. they're holding each other accountable and they're praying. Um, they're they're praying like crazy. They're seeking the Lord. Um, and so they would practice these methods mm-hmm. right in the Holy Club uh, and people would actually make fun of them on campus. And they uh, would, you know, just, you know, start kind of believing that they can get closer to God and they can start like almost becoming sanctified. Right. And they can they can do certain actions and they can um, kind of follow a certain way that Jesus had prescribed uh, and follow these methods Mm -hmm. to really get closer to God and live a holy life. Yeah. And so what they did uh, was... uh, (laughs) It's kind of the same way uh, Christians got their name uh, is when they're like were first called Christians. It was like little Christ and it was kind of a mockery thing. Yeah. Outsiders. Yeah. Outsiders. And so then they became they're like, we actually like that. We're the Christians. Yeah. And so uh, they're making fun of them and their methods. And so uh, the people at uh, on campus would call them the Methodist. Right. Look at these people doing their methods, the Methodist. And then John Wesley actually uh, wrote a little letter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and signed it off and said, uh, from us, or like, like kind of alluded to it, but he signed off on the letter and said, from us Methodists. Yeah, kind of a tongue-in-cheek kind of yeah. reference to themselves. Yeah, yeah, it's good. And so what what that really leads to is these this small group of guys, and they're just, you know, seeking the Lord, and they're like, all right, well, not all of us are priests. Right. And so some of us are what we would call a layman. And most people listening to this, you're you're a layman. Um, and so I'm a layman. KJ, you're almost a layman. No, I'm a, I'm totally a layman. You think so? Yeah, I'm not. Because, yeah, if the distinction is. Yeah, because the distinction is between clergy and layman. I'm definitely in the layman category. I'm not an ordained minister in even, you know, in our tradition. Yeah. So a uh, so a layman would be someone that is not an ordained minister. And so um, what came out of this Methodist group was the empowerment of the layman, of just the regular churchgoer, to start evangelizing, to be someone that would even preach, to be someone that would read and preach scripture. Yeah. Um, and it also, you know, bolstered, you know, women preachers. And this is, guys, we're talking like 1726, 1728. And so this is, you know, one of the first movements that really started supporting, you know, women preaching, women, even pastors, that yeah. kind of role. Um, and so what they did in that was these laymans um, became what is known as the circuit riders. Um, and so maybe some of you guys have heard of circuit riders. Um, there's a current uh, ministry called circuit riders that goes from college campus to college campus. Um, Which is playing on that history. Yeah, and they're playing on the history of the original circuit riders. And adopting that language. 100%. So who are these guys? Break it down a little bit. So circuit riders are the Methodist, and it's not a church. It, the Methodists are a, a like a group or a club. They're more so like a club. Within the Church of England. Yep, within the Anglican Church. And so the it would be like uh, like if you look at your local church right now, and, you know, you have some folks that are a part of, you know, different little, you know, extracurricular activities even. 
um, or extracurricular ministries. Um, they go to your church, but they're also a part of this. It's kind of right. like that. Um, and so they still sub- so John Wesley still an Anglican priest, still uh, like every all these folks are still you know you know uh, proudly Anglican, but they're mm-hmm. Methodist. And so they would go out. Uh, first, they went out into like the wilderness and like the rural areas of England and Ireland, and they would just go from town to town, yeah, and just evangelizing, spreading the gospel on horseback. Um, and John Wesley fell in love with that. John yeah, Wesley sure. thought it was so cool to just even, you know, be out and about and just preach outdoors. Mm-hmm. That was kind of a, a unique thing even back then was the idea of preaching outdoors. Yeah, it was super controversial. Yeah, for sure. And especially in the in the Church of England. I mean, that's why a lot of these guys like like, uh, you know, some of the great preachers in the history of the of the the kind of great revivals that have happened in America, especially the first great awakening with guys like George Whitfield, he was a he was a dude from England that ended up preaching a lot in America because his style of field preaching didn't suit the Church of England at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so uh, really, uh, like a little caveat to this is what led him uh, into this uh, was. He had, like, in 1738, John Wesley, what he had in, like, 1738 was what he kind of called his evangelical conversion. Okay. Um, and, uh, like, he, he met some folks called the Moravians, and we'll jump to them later. Um, but he met these folks called the Moravians that were just very evangelical in nature. Um, and so he had this evangelical conversion, which helped him mobilize the Methodists. Yeah, and let's it, be clear. He met a a group of Moravians. They yeah. were a part of a broader movement that is the the Moravian Church, exactly, which is still around today. Yeah. Oh, yep, one hundred percent. And so, what? Uh, um, here's a buzzword for everyone listening. Um, what they were embracing was Armenian doctrines through this. Um, KJ, if you want to talk about Armenian a little bit, real quick. Yeah. Okay. So, um, briefly, um. Arminianism is a system of um, thinking about salvation theology, like how people get saved. Um, that was kind of a counterpoint in in the Reformation. So you know, you, in one of the the most important reformers is John Calvin, and he comes up with kind of his theological system for thinking about um, how salvation works. And the short version of kind of the Calvinist version of how salvation works is that God um, God elects people, He chooses them, and then when he chooses them he gives them he gives them grace to be able to turn to him and that that grace which god gives is irresistible so that god selects those which are going to be saved and then they once he picks them they can't help but uh turn to him and that's like the the essence of it and there's a bunch of different a bunch of different points in there that are that are you know, I mean, the the we've talked before about the acronym TULIP. I don't think we need to get into that. We don't that. need to get into that. But just so everyone knows, what KJ just talked about, that's Calvinism. And now he's going to jump into the kind of the other belief. Which right, is- and I think it's important to bring up Calvinism because Arminianism was a response to Calvinism yep. by, a, by a student who kind of came up in Calvin's school. So Arminianism is essentially holds to a lot of similar ideas like it, it's it's not an abandonment of the idea that god has to give people grace to turn to him arminians mm-hmm. still accept that but they basic the basic notion is that 
God gives grace to people to believe, but that grace is not irresistible. And so people have agency in whether they believe or not and whether they get saved or not. And so the idea is, is that um, God elects you and gives you grace, and that, but then you have to turn to him in faith and that you're the one who is, is um, essentially making the decision to then um, turn to him. One of the big points, and this actually does matter because it, it shapes the way that you view it. One of the big, one of the big, uh, important aspects of Calvinism is a notion of, um, limited atonement, Mm -hmm. which is the idea that what Jesus did in his, his death, his atoning sacrifice of his own life was he died for the elect, meaning he only died. His sacrifice was for those who will be saved. Mm-hmm. And what our what Arminians cling to is the idea of an idea that is called unlimited atonement, yep. which is essentially the idea that um, Jesus's death was for everyone, for all people of all times, and it's only affected at the moment of faith. So when you decide that you are going to put your faith in Jesus and that you, you, you believe that his, um, death atoned for your sins. And, and that is when the atonement becomes effective, but that atonement was already for you. The atonement covered the sins of the world. That's universal. So, um, Oh, I shouldn't use that word universal because that that's going to bring up universalism, which is a fundamentally different idea, which is the idea that, everyone is saved not yeah. just that everyone can be saved the arminian view yeah. is everyone can be saved yeah exactly oh good cage cage with the big brains that was good i love that thanks <laughs> Dude, that, was, that was good um and so uh just keep it clear so john wesley uh in this movement arminian um and so moving across great britain and ireland they're forming these small christian groups they, they call them societies really um, and they developed, you know, intensive and personal accountability, discipleship, religious instruction, and he really appointed just like unordained evangelists. And so both women and men uh, to take care of these groups of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so under Wesley's direction, Methodists became leaders in many s- social issues of the day, including the abolition of slavery, even mm-hmm. in England, sure. um, and support for women preachers. And so when you're thinking about that movement it's 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 it is new it's a new kind of movement because you're having unordained you know preachers running around and actually you know kind of shepherding flocks mm-hmm. uh, but in these small societies but all of these small societies what John Wesley was really really big on was saying hey still be involved in your local Anglican church right um, now you can still it'd be like your local small group leader today mm-hmm. so like say you guys all go to you know a group of you know eight people and then there's someone that your church your church or maybe your buddies appointed as you know the leader of the group that helps run things and you know holds everyone accountable that is kind of what was created in this that mm-hmm. really wasn't a thing before yeah mm-hmm. i was just gonna say another big point uh, and i don't know if this is a good time to bring it up i think it is the another big thing that they were pursuing in these groups is it was a it was a little bit of a different kind of christian practice because they were pursuing what what um wesley would call uh sanctification entire sanctification yeah. also known as christian perfection mm-hmm. and it was this idea that that god through the holy spirit and through what Jesus did, can actually 
perfect you in his own love mm-hmm. in your life. And so they're pursuing this, this degree of holiness, which maybe folks without this prodding would have not even thought was possible within their lifetime. And was maybe something for the sweet by and by. And we'll see one day if we get, you know, we'll, we'll yeah. be perfect one day. But, but Wesley had a theology that was like, Hey, no, you need to be pushing onwards to perfection right now. And you, the, the Holy spirit is capable of actually doing the job that he set out to do in you. He can do mm. it. Yeah. And, 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 you know, kind of, you know, leaving you know sin and death in the grave yeah and not being a slave to sin any longer Mm -hmm. and that was you know that act of you know entire sanctification and just rising above it um and now your nature is turning right where your nature is to not sin uh and if you do fall and stumble into sin that is something that you're doing against your nature right Uh, because now you're a new creation that is pursuing into you know into total sanctification and you know i think personally it 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 is that it is that that pressing forward uh that you know you see in your own personal life today where you without knowing it maybe as you're listening you without knowing it you are doing methods right now you are listening to this podcast could be a method right you are you are you know having your daily devotionals you're in you're fasting you're praying that's what they were doing they yeah. were fasting and praying didn't didn't they take communion like every day yeah those guys would would take communion every day yeah big on communion and with one another like they would just it it, it was um an intense like an intense you know social group intense just really society you know within a society um and so uh like john wesley was never accused to be like a theologian or anything um but he he, in in doing this it kind of created a theology yeah um and i think it's beautiful it created a theology in just by pursuing christ like in in the pursuit of christ it created a Methodist theology even. Yeah, and the pursuit of Christ that was not willing to leave anything undone, you know, was just not willing to tolerate the the cycle that you fall into and whatever, but was just was just yeah, un uh, was not gonna be satisfied until until Jesus had really finished what he was doing in you and completely turned oh. you over. Mm. Oh man. And, and in so many in so many groups of people, whether you know you're evangelical free non-denominational so many people have adopted you know just a, a lot of this and oh, so absolutely it's a huge thing it's a huge huge thing and honestly it's like and we might talk about it a little later i'm not sure if we're gonna get into but like it is kind of the um kind of the jump start really for the holiness movement john wesley being really just one of the big jump starts for that holiness movement that that happens later in the in the early 20th century yeah um so anyways so what's going on right now is uh you got the circuit riders that are going through uh they're going through great britain and they're going through ireland and they're starting these societies and now here comes the western world the western expansion right and remember these are all societies that are a part of an anglican church right now and i would i don't know what the percent is but i would say it's probably a pretty small percent of the anglican church are part of this society of Methodist. Sure. Yeah. Um, okay. And now these circuit riders are like, let's go west. Mm-hmm. Um, little co- a little caveat in it. Um, John Wesley does go to Savannah, Georgia mm-hmm. uh, with the Moravians. 
and yeah, is that right, Mac? We got Mac in here today. He's our he's he's uh, our, our fact producer. checker, our producer slash fact checker. So he went to um, Georgia, um, and uh, the um, really just had a failed ministry um, in Georgia, mm-hmm. and then he came back to um, England, and that's when he touched base with the Moravians. Oh, I thought the Moravians were on the boat with him to Savannah. Um, I th- I do think they actually are on the boat with him to Savannah because uh, there's a statue in Savannah, Georgia, uh, and in that on that inscribed on that statue in Savannah, Georgia, it is a statue of John Wesley, mm-hmm. and it inscribes you know to John Wesley and the Moravians, um, and so I do think the Moravians uh, made the the trip with them. Uh, but anyways, he had a failed ministry in Savannah, Georgia, uh, and kind of came back defeated uh, back to America, um, where he like started like questioning certain things about his life, like mm-hmm. how much do I really trust God? Like, he, like there's a story of him getting really, really seasick on the boat, and he was just like, and he saw other people that were on the boat that were like at peace with God, mm-hmm. and they were like, if God takes us, He takes us. And John Wesley was like terrified and just like sick and just hated every moment of it. And so, like, it was a it was a real big gut check for him. Mm-hmm. And so, when he comes back to England, he's like, "All right, I got to bow up." Um, but that's just a little caveat in this story. And so, the circuit riders go into the into you know New America, uh, and they go into New America and they start doing what they did in UK and in Ireland. Um, yeah, the the British colonies in in North America. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so they're going around America and starting, you know, there's an Anglican church in America. So that's something mm-hmm. to to really know uh so there's an english church established in america because it is a british colony right and so these methodists are going around on horseback you know all the way west and they keep going west further and further and further west and these methodists um, are just starting these societies um and it's not they're not starting a church and john wesley was very very like clear on that uh, that, hey, this is still societies, be a part of your Anglican church. He's still an Anglican ordained priest. Um, and he's like, just continue to make these societies. And I, I just, um, I, I think it's it, it's pretty neat what you see with the, the Methodists in this part. Um, folks, uh, so you have a local church um today in america right now you like you have a local church you may have had the same pastor for 20 years mm-hmm. um they the, the word is itinerant um that they'll use really meaning like inter intermittent or you know just like a a, a preacher uh, like a pastor in the methodist in the circuit riders would be there for a little brief period of time at yeah, your we'll local move around and move around and there's two sides to that so you could think like Oh, that's awesome that he's continuing to go out and spread the gospel and go from church to church. But a lot of like the laymen's and the uh, the people that just went to the church um, would sit there and be like, "Man, like I want to have the same person uh, be here." And so it kind of like affected like uh, for a brief moment in time, like church church like um, church church membership in in, in certain churches. Yeah, during. the way that you do church leadership. Yeah, and so. Uh, it transitioned into these local bodies of church. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, um, now we're still in. We're still with the the circuit riders. Uh, what happens? And this is how the Methodist Church starts in America. What happens is the Revolutionary War, mm-hmm. and so the Revolutionary War kicks off, 
and all of these circuit riders really are are are, are from Great Britain or from England, and they're sitting there and they they're like a war's breaking out, uh, and we're getting you know assaulted, and also we want to come back home, and so they're like, yeah, go home, red coat. Yeah, um, they're loyal British subjects. Yeah, they're loyal yeah. British subjects, and so they go home. And now there is all these church members and folks that are kind of unchurched in America Mm -hmm. that are writing letters back to John Wesley. And they're like, dude, uh, like we need to start a church. Like, like, like we, we need one. And John Wesley, like, I don't want to say like begrudgingly, but like, was like, all right, fine, start a church. Mm -hmm. And so because of the revolutionary war, the Methodist church was created and not just like in America, just the first ever Methodist church is actually from like in America uh, and started in America as a, as a, as an organization with a, a separate uh, like authority structure. Yeah. Cause the Anglican priests uh, also went home too. Right. Yeah. And so there's no English church in America really. Well, and there was, a, there was, a, I think that that's that, there's a, a divide there too, and that's where a lot of the you know so now now all the Anglican churches in America, um, not all of them, but the vast majority we call them Episcopal churches or you know they're Episcopalians, and I think that that's where a lot of that language comes from was for people who wanted who were still a part of that tradition but were were sticking around in America they had to ditch that Anglican moniker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they had to yeah. right. Um, okay, and so now we have the Methodist Church start. Mac, if you can if you can look up for me like how fast the Methodist Church uh, spread because I I think it's actually like pretty uh, substantial from like you know like like five hundred members to like ten thousand members like really really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, the Methodist movement you know really really hit the ground running in America. Yeah, because and I think that it was a part of the historical context too where you know the the great awakening which is that great the of this this big period of like religious revival where people are um it's like this kind of mass movement of people from more uh traditional high ter- high church liturgy churches into these movements that are super experiential you're having this real like um visceral preaching and long worship services and stuff like that and it's it's this big revival and i think methodism got a huge pump in that period of time because they were right at the heart of that movement where people were you know experiencing this revival breaking out and joining into these new movements um uh, one of which was the uh the methodists so so crazy so maybe some some of the people listening um have heard about camp meetings um, and so the the camp meetings come right from this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so even in some Wesleyan churches um, today, I don't know if it's true for us or not, um, are still supposed to have two every year. Um, it's like okay. in their like, you know, their bylaws or whatever mm-hmm. is that yeah, we have sure. two camp meetings a year. Uh, and really it's just a revival meeting. It's a tent revival meeting or whatever in your church and you're supposed to have these camp meetings that you know go on for different lengths of time every year and you carve out this time that's like we're devoting this extended period of time to the lord where we're going to come together for days on end and just devote ourselves to him yeah and so and what it was um and and I, i talked about this a little bit on a previous podcast um but what oh did you pull that up matt yeah what you got so in 1784 um 
Wesley ordains Thomas Koch um, and two others. Um, and then um, he has this like deed of declaration and it's a conference of a hundred guys that are the Society of Methodists. Wow. And then by the end of um, the 19th century, uh, you're talking about 450,000 members. Oh. So. At the end of the, so 1890s. Yeah. So like a hun- hundred years. years. You're talking. A hundred X. A half of, a half a million by. In a hundred years. years. Dang. Movement. Oh my gosh. Dude, like revival. And that's, and that's one of the reasons why the Methodist church is such a massive cultural and you know, social institution in this country is because they were huge right off the break. Dude, or, I mean, not right off the, you know what I'm saying, no, but all, early on, they, they're, they've been, it's been critical in, in the history, the religious history of this country. Off Jump Street, yeah, like, they literally, um, I mean, they're married to the time of the founding fathers. Yeah, the revolution. And so, you're in that, you're in that spot where, you know, you're you're holding a lot of weight socially and that's going to come into play soon Mm -hmm. you're holding a lot of weight politically socially and all that because you are you're becoming one of the largest churches yeah in america um go ahead Matt. they were saying that well whatever i'm reading here is saying that you know the the growth is um is you know mostly because the it's like men and women um who are like enduring economic hardship and the the church would help alleviate their their poverty. Come on. And so they were, um, you know, they were um, like a middle class church, you know, made up of the the layman and, and the workman. Yeah, folks who were struggling. You find that? Oh my gosh, I'm getting fired up. You find that in like so many like um, big moments throughout church history where mm-hmm. there's a giant revival. Like you, like for example, like the Pentecostal church. Being a Pentecostal, and this is sorry, this is a tangent, but being a Pentecostal in like the early 1900s, mm-hmm. like meant that like you were like poor or low class yeah, or middle. For sure. It was almost like it was almost like derogatory sometimes when people would be like, "Oh, like you're Pentecostal," and they would just be like, "Well, yeah, but like," and that that's how they would answer it. Well, yeah, but like, and and, and but w- how you see God move in those moments with the low man, yeah. with the guy, with with the people that you know aren't you know owning a you know you know whatever, and like, you would think he would go to New York City if like you were God, you would go to New York City and do all that stuff. It's hard, terrible to play that game, um, but how God like works so many times in these big movements is from that spot, yeah, um, with the humble, with the humble. Um, and, and so, uh, I, I mentioned, and so to jump back on these camp meetings, um, sorry for the long way around there, no, but that's good. to jump back on these camp meetings, um, and I made this crazy parallel, uh, on a couple podcasts ago, um, what they would use these camp meetings for would be a time of turning away from mm-hmm. their sin, from who they you, the world from what they've turned to and turned back to God and repent and they would publicly confess yeah. and they would do all of these things uh, to repent and turn back to God. And so there, there's this old adage, like like old, old adage. I mean, like like 19, early 1900s, 1800s adage where it's just like, if I can just make it to the next uh, camp meeting, 
would be all right. Yeah. Because people would almost hold on to some stuff just to get to the next camp meeting because they're like, that's where I feel like I can get free again, which is not the, the <laughs> way. The <laughs> not, way it, not the message we want. Not the message we want. But they treated it sort of how, at times, Catholics even treat confession. Yeah. Um, and so with that opportunity, and I think it's really important to, to honor that, an opportunity to confess and repent and turn back to Christ yeah. is so important um, and to lay hold to it. Um, I believe all of us you know, here in this room, but all of us that are listening, have far more opportunities to repent and confess and turn back to Christ than we think we have, mm-hmm. than we even acknowledge we have. They may be scary moments. They may be you know, moments that give you a little you know, gut check. But these are pre these are prescribed moments by the catholic church by the methodist movement yeah for to give people an opportunity which should be honored now you always have an opportunity but these are prescribed moments for folks that may not have done it otherwise we recognize that we it seems like we all end up recognizing that we need it to be a regular rhythm of the way that we live our life that we have those devoted times that we specifically do that that turning you know that time of turning and times of refreshing will come yeah that's great oh man it's so good so now uh so to jump a little bit back into where we were and so you got this methodist movement going and it's humming and it's looking great and, Mm -hmm. and good things are happening and we're gonna probably jump i would say like 70 years here to kind of get closer to where me and kj are so let me just be really clear on this. John Wesley mm-hmm. founded the Methodist Church he, he, by ordaining American ministers. By ordaining American ministers. Yep. The Wesleyan Church wasn't necessarily founded by John Wesley. Which is our specific offshoot of the Methodist thing. Correct. Yeah, it's the, good. The Wesleyan Church is an offshoot of the Methodist Church and... It's not founded by John Wesley. It's just kind of like, hey, we believe what John Wesley believed. Yep, which is so cool, and and we'll talk about it. But it is, it's it, um, and maybe we're biased in this because we're a part of this. Yeah. But it feels faithful to his legacy. It does. Okay, it does. explain why that is. Well, explain why it feels faithful to John Wesley's legacy. I mean, because I think it, the whole the whole story of its yeah. origin is deeply rooted in in Wesley's notion of what the church is to be to the world. Okay, so I'm going to let KJ real quick say the quote, then I'm going to tell a little bit about what's going to happen uh, in you know the eight in uh, the mid 1800s here. We should maybe get a fact check on this quote too. Whenever, whenever, Mac, just to yeah. make sure that it's it's authentic we say it all the time but um the quote is the the way that i've heard it is that that west john wesley himself said that the church which does not impact the 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 um broader society that it's a part of is not the church Mm. and he is quoted also after saying that i believe that uh god is to remain uh, to reign supreme in your hearts and that's why it should act like that Mm. Um, and so Max doing a little fact check on that quote, but so I'm going to start this story where the Wesleyan church branches off the Methodist church. So what happens is slavery. And so now we're in America and there's been slaves in America for a long time, um, 400 years of slavery in America, but now we're getting to the spot where slavery is coming to the forefront. What are you saying? 
230 years of slavery. 230 years? You don't count, like, what? Like, you don't count the... Well, the first... Well, all right, so if we're... All right, so let's let's be let's be specific in our terms. Yeah. Two, two, all right, so chattel slavery, the form of slavery that we had here in the U.S., starts in uh, 1609 or 1619. Okay. 1619. Um, and so... And then, and then it's, it's formally done away with following the civil war 1865 so whatever that window okay is. let's call it that that's fair uh and so now we're sitting at that spot where slavery is being brought to the forefront and there's groups that are abolitionists there's groups that are like this is where the methodist church started to land mm-hmm. the methodist church landed at a spot saying hey we're the church we're not really supposed to be in this is a political ma- matter uh, let's let the state, let's let the government figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and to take John Wesley's quote, there's a group of Methodists mm-hmm. that took John Wesley's quote to heart and said, we need to affect the society we live in. Yeah. And we are abolitionists. Mm-hmm. We believe that it is completely wrong uh, for slavery to exist. Yeah. And so they met and they talked and they chatted about all these different ways to go about it. And eventually it just came to a boiling point where folks said, you know what? Looks like we have to leave the church and we're going to start the Wesleyan church. Yeah. So the, the, the whole reason for the break, no difference in theology. They don't write up a new confession. They don't do any of that. They, it's, it's purely based on this social issue that they believed was so critical to actually like, like it, 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 it was a social issue that rose to the point of of them being convicted that they couldn't follow Jesus faithfully uh, without honoring their convictions on that. It would be a betrayal of them in their mind. And like the the like the one founding father, one of the founding fathers of uh, the Wesleyan Church said just that. And yeah. I I think it is so like this podcast, his heritage, right and. And, you know, and as we look back on the heritage that we've, you know, inherited in the history of, you know, you know, these giants that have gone before us, you know, we sit in a spot right now. Mm-hmm. We sit in a spot right now today. And, you know, there's always a time like throughout yeah. humanity where, you know, social issues are boiling over. But you can feel it now. It's palpable. Uh, and social issues are boiling over. And for our our belief as Wesleyans, um, we believe that we are to be involved in social issues and make Jesus shine through this moment and his name be glorified. And so how that, however that looks and wherever you need to take a stand in that or wherever you need to lay down for that and mm-hmm. submit for that yeah. both ways. Right. Um, and in that we can look back on how hard they put their lives on the line. hundred percent. Like literally, literally, lives on the line borderline martyrs for this cause and so then you jump into 2023 where we are today and we can learn from them where there is things that we know christ stands for right we know that you know we we know that christ stands with the unborn child we know that christ is for those before i before you were even conceived i knew you you know, and so we know in these different social issues that the church, that the church is supposed to affect and that the church is supposed to be involved with society. The church is not supposed to be on the outskirts of town. It is supposed to be a light on a hill. Right. Yeah. 
And if we are in that spot of just being, you know, well, we'll stay in these four walls. Right. We're going to let's just stay in our lane. Let's stay in our lane. We'll we, do religious stuff. Yeah, we'll do religious stuff and let the non-religious people do the non-religious stuff. Yeah. Uh, separation of church and state. Am I right? And you are right. But church and state do not live separately. They yeah, do right. not. They we live together. Yeah, that's just not a, a. It's not the reality on the ground. Yeah, it's not the reality on the ground. Like you, it, I I think it's like a good like house analogy. You know, you got your church and state, but they're they're roommates. They live in the same house. You know, and they are going to affect each other because they live with one another. Yeah, and that I mean that's a little bit of American history too. That I think that I think that that whole notion has become so warped in our own minds, such that people actually people actually believe that like the the they take that idea of the separation of church and state to mean that what the intention was was for there to be no involvement of religion in the way that the country is governed nothing could be farther from the truth than that i mean that's yeah. just absolutely verifiably false 100%. that the you know that was that was um the the intention that's never been the way it's been so yeah it's it's really good and that's a really awesome part of the heritage of the of the Wesleyan movement. So this is so what happens is you have this branch off and this mm -hmm. this vein that comes off, and they say we're going to take a stand for this and even send ministers down south. Yeah. Uh, like in, like just think about like sending you know troops into uh, over enemy lines, right? And I, I do want to read a quote from the guy's name is Orange Scott Orange like oh, Orange Scott. Uh, Orange Scott is uh, orange like the fruit. Um, <laughs> thanks, what a, for, thanks for that clarification. What a, what a name, huh? Yeah. I'm going to name my next kid Banana. Um, but <laughs> No, not sorry. Um, and so uh, Orange Scott being really kind of one of the first, even he was the first to preside over the convention that organized the, we the Wesleyan Methodist um was it like Connexion or whatever they call it? Uh, something like that. Um, but um, he became convinced that like holy hearts should 100% um, should result in holy lives, that holy men should seek to bring an end to social uh, social evils like mm. slavery and intemperance. Wow. But here he is. He's quoted. He goes, I assumed the position that the principle of slavery, the principle which justifies Holding and treating the human species as property is morally wrong, mm. or in other words, that is a, that it is a sin. The principle I contended, aside from all circumstances, is evil, only evil, and that continually. I said no one, I said no hand could sanctify it, no circumstances could change it from bad to good. It was reprobate, too bad to be converted, not subject to the law of God, neither indeed could be. I admitted that the circumstances might palliate and the circumstances might aggravate, but no circumstance could justify the principle. He who has made of one blood all nations of men to dwell on the earth must look with disappropriation upon such a system of complicated wrongs as American slavery. Abolition is from above, of which I have no more doubt than the truth of Christianity." And that is what he said to the Methodist Church. Yeah, and that's that, that's literally like you know like hand in hand with Abraham Lincoln at the moment, um, and just being like we are taking a stand against this. I don't see how you could not. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. Mac, did you have something? Couldn't find the couldn't find the direct quote. So I think that maybe that that notion that we expressed earlier that the church, um, which doesn't impact the society it's a part of, is not the church is may is maybe not necessarily a direct quote, more a concept that was established through okay. Wesley's writing and the way that he he practiced because there is a lot of stuff in his writing that speaks to that, if not quoted directly. So he's quoted uh, John Wesley. So John Wesley, just a little thing. He uh, he was an Anglican priest his whole life. He mm-hmm. died an Anglican priest. It's funny he never became a Methodist, um, which is interesting, right? Uh, well, I guess he was. No, he right, was always he didn't a split. He was never like yeah. Uh, and he got a lot of flack throughout his whole entire life about the Methodists. Mm-hmm. And then as he grew into his older years, John Wesley lived a long time. He was like almost ninety. Um, and as he grew into his older years, uh, he started being just like. You know, everyone started like adoring him in England and everyone started appreciating him. Uh, and he was quoted at the end of his life as being the most beloved man in all of England. Yeah, it's awesome. That's pretty cool. So here we are. Uh, you got this, this group of Wesleyans. You know, it's a small group. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not it's not incredibly large. Uh, and they decide to send. There is a, a, a pastor that they send from up north. He's a young pastor. I forget his name. Golly. Someone, if you uh, look up uh, Mac, if you look up the Freedom Hill pastor, you'll figure it out. Um, and so it's a young pastor. And so they, they're choosing between three pastors to go down uh, to go down south and start a church. Um, and two of them are married and have kids. One doesn't. And so they're all like, you know, talking to each other. And the one that's who Mac's going to figure out his name, he um, raises his hand. He's like, send me. I'll go, uh, for I have no wife. I have no family. It is easier if I die. Mm, um, yeah. And he, and like, it was, a, he, he felt it was a suicide mission. That's wild. And so, gosh, I'm getting, this is in the context of the civil war. This is in the civil war. Yeah. Okay. This is a context of like, even just like sparking tensions. So they're sending him the ideas. They want to establish an abolitionist Wesleyan church in the South. Yep. Okay. And so they go down South and they start a church called uh, and so first of all they started meeting in houses right they did house church for a while sure and you know there's like 20 members of this church uh it's uh 20 members of this church and finally they pull together some money and finally they they build uh their own little tiny chapel uh and with you know nails that they made themselves and everything like that and they called it freedom hill freedom hill and gosh dude i can't like it's such an amazing story uh and and it's called freedom hill and uh it became the southernmost point for one of the main parts of the underground railroad wow yeah and uh and so so many slaves were led to freedom through freedom hill wow Uh, and that was the wesleyan church and that's the heritage that the wesleyan church is a part of yeah and so at freedom hill um uh priests uh pastors there and laymen there just you know people just going to church there were you know like they were beaten they had like effigies burned on of them they were shot at there's bullet holes still in the doors of freedom hill uh freedom hill uh it, it got like relocated to like an uh to a wesleyan campus somewhere some wesleyan college i think like maybe in I don't know. Yeah, sure. Um, but it got relocated, uh, the chapel, and it's preserved beautifully. Um, it, any of our listeners want to look up Freedom Hill? There's a sweet little three-minute video on YouTube about uh, Freedom Hill yeah. that'll tell you this whole story. Uh, and in there, they started socially affecting slavery. 
by even by even going into the lion's den and saying, hey, this is where I need to affect yeah. culture and helping lead uh, uh, helping lead slaves, um, helping lead slaves to freedom. And in leading these slaves to freedom, uh, a lot of the checkpoints along the way were Wesleyan churches and then a lot of Methodist churches came online. And That's so awesome. um, there's a uh, gosh, um, there's a, a famous like uh, there's a famous uh, pastor that was like up in like Massachusetts or something. That was like the this northern point And OK, that was like home free. Yeah, um, right. And, and I mean, just put yourself in this moment mm-hmm. where you are going in 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 fighting a cause that you just felt so led by Christ for in your own country mm-hmm. uh that you just got uh and like and you're a young man and you're sitting there and you're just i i, I it, it's hard to put yourself in this situation today but yeah. there are situations that are similar to it today um and where you can learn that taking a stand for Christ will cause generational impact yeah. The rest of your, for the for the rest of the world's time. Yeah, and can see a a heavenly agenda, you know, come to pass in in the world. It's awesome. Mm. Yeah, and it's and so we're left with a with a with a some of the best aspects of this um tradition are are we're left with a a, a Christian faith where Members of churches are pushed in the direction of pursuing him wholeheartedly and allowing your whole self to be won over by him and consumed by his love, and then to then be motivated to take all that and get out there and have a huge impact on the community that's around you. Yeah. It's awesome. That's what it's about. Yeah. And so now we have a Wesleyan church in America. Now there's a couple things like um, that will just like go sky high over here, but. Um, when the Civil War ended, uh, like the Methodists, uh, a lot of Wesleyans went back to being Methodists because sure, um, yeah. they were just like, hey, the problem's over. I'll come back. We, yeah. don't, we don't disagree on anything theologically. We just disagreed on slavery, so I'll come back to being a Methodist. Yep. And then there was a lot of like Wesleyans that were like, no, like since we disagreed on that, there's going to be things that we disagree on in the future and socially and that kind of thing. Right. And yeah, so sure. that's really what created that Wesleyan movement. And then... Um, Oh, and then oh, I think Mac got it for me. Um, the oh gosh, yeah. Well, if you want to figure out that Freedom Hill pastor's name, watch that three-minute video that I uh, talked about. I think they mentioned a couple heroes' names. Sure. Um, and so now you have um, the Wesleyan Church that started, um, and they start branching off into different little areas. But I'd like to talk a little bit about kind of those. Uh, the the four points there kj about what what does the wesleyan church kind of hang its hat on uh theologically oh you're talking about the the four alls the four alls yeah okay yeah i mean and that's okay so that's the four alls this is getting back into theology so this is a little bit of a, a changing gears here but um folks love making these nice little little shorthand things to yeah. kind of be able to remember what the the distinctive features of things are so for wesleyan theology um, we talked before, like when we were with Pastor Trent, there's the whole tulip thing for the Calvinists. The, the Wesleyans have a similar thing, which is the four alls. And um, the idea there is that 
all okay so there's four all statements which kind of sum up the key tenets of wesleyan mm-hmm. theology number one is all um need to be saved and that's a recognition of of just every single human being is in a um spot where they're they're in a spot of depravity and they need a redeemer to come and save them mm-hmm. uh the second one is all can be saved meaning that the what Jesus did opened up a way for all those who would believe in him. Um, so anybody can be saved. Anybody who turns their faith toward him uh, can be saved. The third point is um, all can know that they're saved. So you can be assured of your salvation. Uh, and then the fourth point is all can be saved entirely. And that brings you back to the point that we had talked about before, which I think we did a pretty good treatment of, of the idea of, complete or I'm sorry entire sanctification also known as Christian perfection which is like we talked about that idea where you can be perfected in love such that you don't sin against God and sin against your neighbor and it's it's not to say that you're you're never going to make a mistake again but it is to say that Christ and the Holy Spirit can so work in you that you are fundamentally changed into um you know, the type of person that does his will and that doesn't sin against him. And so it's, uh, those are the, those are the key tenets. Those are the big, the four, the four alls. It's a good shorthand to, to see what distinguishes like, um, Wesleyan theology from say a lot of the other groups that are part of the Protestant movement, because most of them follow kind of more of a Calvinist structure. Yeah. I think, um, I think, like, you know, like, theology can be fun, interesting, confusing, all those things. Um, and, like, like this is a good little four-pointer. Um, but I really think it's, um, I, th- I think it's, it's important when you're just in your own denomination understanding, like, yes, the theology is, is important and it's not something to be, you know, it's not something to be, scoffed at or anything like that um but really understanding that christ just wants to have that relationship with you and so when you can when we get too caught up in what one side believes versus what one side doesn't believe um when there isn't an issue at hand that's when it gets a little bit strange right sure yeah and and so that's why you know understanding the 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 birth of the Wesleyan Church out of the Methodist Church is mm-hmm. one I honor it I believe in it I think it's great um, and I think it was for a noble cause um, and so I but if it was just because hey like we just want to have a schism to have a schism um, over some really you know tertiary or third or third order or whatever you want to call it yeah thing sure then then it, it, it wouldn't have had the effect it had and it's the same thing uh, i think with a lot of churches that that or denominations or even movements that have a lot of traction is because it's something new that god's trying to do it's not it's not necessarily because someone had a good idea or a bad idea or a theological idea that oh let's do this and it's it's going to change it's when it has traction and good fruit, it's because God is trying to do something. And so when we try and attribute it to men and heroes of the faith, all the glory is to God. You know, like 
kudos, uh, like kudos to, and all that kind of stuff. And we honor John Wesley and guys like Orange Scott and all these, you know, awesome people that followed Christ. But they would say the same thing is that it was God moving. And if God's anointed hand in his favor wasn't upon that, there would have been zero fruit. There would have been nothing good. And we would have fallen flat on our faces and we would have gone home with our tail tucked between our legs. And it's the same thing in your personal ministry. It's the same thing in your home with your wife and your husband and your kids. When God is involved, there is going to be fruit and in in his will will be done through his involvement as you let it. And so I think it's important um, to understand that now, even as we're talking about where the Wesleyan Church has come from in, you know, post-Civil War Mm -hmm. to where we are today, it's important to talk about the charismatic renewal um, and talk about, okay, so how does God move again? And what happens is God doesn't just affect the Wesleyan Church. He affects churches. He affects multiple, multiple people. Uh, like there's a Catholic charismatic renewal that like in the, in the 70s, I think, and then in the 60s. Um, there's, you, KJ, you can go into this a little bit because I know you, you're a, a little bit deeper on this. Well, the, the, the reason why I think maybe the charismatic renewal matters is not so much because of our denom- denomination, but because of our specific church, which really was touched by the charismatic renewal. Um, for our church, they really weren't impacted, uh, you know, until I want to say like the the late 80s or early 90s was really where the stuff that was going on. But oh, wow. just real quick, the, the charismatic renewal was something that followed. Dom had mentioned before about the, the uh, Pentecostal uh, movement, which is which is really starts in the 19th century, but then moves on into the um 20th century and these guys are super excited about the gifts of the spirit there's a a a belief that god is still moving in that way and an excitement about seeing him do it and um and you know with with the the whole pentecostal thing um they developed a kind of particular specific theology around that. Um, but the broader principles, like I had mentioned before, the things about like being excited about the movement of the Holy Spirit, believing that he can, um, believing that he still works miracles like like you see recorded in the, in the book of Acts and stuff like that, um, that spread out into every denomination, um, pretty much every denomination. I mean, the, the, like you said, there was, a, there was, um, the charismatic movement in the Catholic church is still going on strong. Our church is a charismatic church. Um, and we're within the Wesleyan. It, 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 so it's touched down in all of these different, um, areas. And it's something that has really had a profound impact on, uh, the way that we worship, the way that we kind of practice our faith, especially in a, you know, I was going to say, especially in a corporate sense, but I don't know that that's necessarily true because the, um, things like having a belief and excitement about the gifts of the spirit, they actually move into all the different aspects of your life. And, um, it's not just corporate, although it is, you know, the way that we worship is very charismatic. The, um, the, you know, belief that God can impart gifts and stuff like that, you know, that he distributes gifts to his people. But, um, yeah, it impacts, it impacts everything. So we're, we're the beneficiaries of that movement too, which like we'd said before, starts with the Pentecostals, but then really moves out into the, the church broadly. Yeah. I, I, and it oozes into every little crack of, of the church when it of happens. Christianity, of right. Christianity. Yep. 
and you see God doing a new thing. And so I, I think it's it's fair to talk a little bit about just like the Pentecostal movement, like coming into into play, right? Or no? What do you think? Like in like you're talking like I'm talking like 1905 Azusa Street revival. Or, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think I think that the key thing is is the history is important and it and the it shaped it. But I think that for us, the the trickle down effect of it by the time it hits us is really is really been, uh, you know, we don't we don't get hit with it till way later. We can get into into that if you want to. Do you want to talk a little bit about the the yeah. Kind of, so that was what they would call second wave Pentecostalism, right? The mm-hmm. the Azusa Street and stuff like that. Yeah, but so we don't hit, get hit until like the like sixties ish. Really, is like when it starts trickling into like other churches, denominations, other denominations. Yeah. Sure. Um. So Azusa Street revival, William Seymour. Um. Just real quick on it. There in nineteen. What is it? Nineteen. I gotta know this one, huh? Nineteen oh six, Mac, knowing it. Uh, Nineteen oh six, uh, William Seymour, Azusa Street Revival. Um, really, the 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 cool thing here was it's a it's a black preacher, it's an African American preacher, um, and they say it goes on for you know nine years. Um, but in L A. in L A. Bonnie uh, Bonnie Bray Street. Um, but it, like he even quoted when suddenly. As though hit by a bolt of lightning, they were knocked from their chairs to the floor, and seven men seven men began began to speak in tongues and shout loud, praising God. News spread quick, and the city was stirred. Um, and so, this is kind of the birth of the Pentecostal movement, mm-hmm. right here during this revival in California and America. Um, during this revival, you know, countless people were, were saved, you know, people of all tribes and tongues, rich people, poor people, everyone were being affected and there was an outpouring. Yeah, right? sure. Um, if you want to really nerd out about it, you guys should look it up. There's a real, there's tons a lot of, of tons of cool stories, even about William Seymour and about like his history of like kind of even being rejected by like the church before, like all those yeah. things. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, but it doesn't really like kick off into other doctrines and denominations until like 1960. Um, but really what happens is that is kind of, um, the breaker, uh, for the breakthrough. Mm -hmm. And then in the 1940, 1945, 1960, um, you start seeing, uh, it's called the healing movement. Uh, that happens in that time frame. Yeah. Um, and when the healing movement happens now, folks, the the big thing you want to take away from that is the um, the gifts of the spirit, because now the gifts of the spirit are being practiced in other denominations where today you or I would meet on the street and be like, hey, uh, like, hey, like uh, my back hurts or um, or hey, like, uh, like uh, I got this sickness. Can, can you pray for me? Um, and me laying hands on you and saying, you know, father, you know, heal him. Uh, that really wasn't so much of a thing before then. Um, even just like believing that, like, like the, the gifts of the spirit that I, I believe that you can be healed right now. I believe that you know Jesus can heal you right now. It, it of course, in different groups and little societies, believed it and practiced it, but it wasn't mainstream in America mm-hmm. uh, until that spot. And now you see different movements, you know, 
kind of happen happening in a sequence right after that that lead into all the denominations not all of them but a lot of denominations the catholics have a uh, charismatic renewal in the 70s mm -hmm. um and so everyone becomes affected down the line from really when the pentecostal movement breaks out um and you know that term pentecostal uh, comes from scripture, KJ, in, in scripture, the uh, day of Pentecost. Yeah. Um, Acts 2, right? Yeah. That's then. So, um, yeah, Pentecost, <clears throat> excuse me, Pentecost, it's a, oh gosh, it's, it's a Sabbath of Sabbaths. Oh, come on. After, uh, the Passover. So seven sevens, 49. So it's the 50th day after, um, Easter is when we is when we celebrate Pentecost. I guess it's forty nine. Whatever. It's 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 that period of time, and that's when the Holy Spirit falls on um, on a group of believers there in Jerusalem, and um, and they begin to speak in tongues. And uh, it's I mean it's a really crucial moment for the Jesus movement then launching out. It's like it's like the it's like the 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 you know the Jesus is crucified and then he is raised from the dead and then he tells the guys hang tight and this is the moment where like the the jesus movement gets launched out from um jerusalem and it's really cool because it's this it's this moment where all these different people from the you know the jews from all over the known world are coming back into um jerusalem and all of them receive the holy spirit at the same time and um, I mean, there's so much oh, that that Bible story is so chock full of stuff because there's like the the all of the different people being reunited and then the at, you know all the different tribes of Israel being reunited and the Holy Spirit falling on them and the and the tongues of fire are 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 on top of them, which is a you know a a biblical uh, allusion to what happened with the tabernacle and the temple, and it's the demonstration that God is now taking up residence inside these believers, just like his presence stood before the Israelites, you know, in the wilderness or at the, or at the tabernacle in a, a pillar of fire and a pillar of clouds. So now he is here in, um, in us. And so the Pentecostals take their name from what happened on that day yep. and are looking for the Lord to similarly move in the lives of believers now. And, um, the Pentecostals, the Pentecostal folks have a theology that, um, that you, the, the necessary, uh, evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. Mm -hmm. And William Seymour, that's, I mean, this is a tangent, but it's important because William Seymour is an early dude who is a part of that Pentecostal charismatic movement who ditches that idea and says it actually is po possible for people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and not speak in tongues. Yeah, and that's kind of where we fall. Into that's where we fall. We're yeah. charismatic, and we believe that people do um, speak in tongues and pray in tongues and prophesy and all that different stuff but we don't hold to the kind of a hard and fast rule that you have to have this immediate you know there's a uh yeah you've got to have this immediate like speaking in tongues experience which is the demonstration that you've been baptized in the holy spirit yeah and i also understand folks that do believe that side too where they believe that hey uh what being baptized in the holy spirit the evidence is speaking in tongues i understand that side as well Sure. Get both. I kind of sit on the side with KJ. Um, and so I think what's really interesting during this uh, during this movement is kind of, and me and KJ were talking about it earlier, like the term ecumenical. 
um, and how it's kind of gotten a little bit of a funny reputation recently. But anyways, um, the, the ecumenical movement really breaks out because of this in America. And so something really... What does that word mean? Oh, yeah. Ecumenical is just uh, denominations working together. So just unity, right? So even kind of like this podcast is ecumenical. So like an nature. ecumenical council would be a bunch of people from different yeah groups coming together yeah and so for example uh, in ecumenical it was uh really really big in world war ii for germany um and for germany for england for all those di- different countries because it was kind of the only way believers could co- communicate and go over you know co- uh, country lines and all these different things um and so these different believers like anglican priests and lutherans and all these different people would be kind of really absorbed into the ecumenical movement Mm -hmm. it sometimes took um and not in what we think as a liberal tone but uh today as a liberal tone but it took like kind of like a um a liberal tone back then because people would think people aren't hard and fast and conservative on their you know religious beliefs yeah uh, because they're willing to meet with other people in their religious beliefs and you're saying that the charismatic movement did something similar mm-hmm. to the american church yeah and so it's really important to understand that in a lot of nations there's like a state church um and so for example we're talking about like the anglican church a lot today and that is the church of england yeah. right and so that's the church and it is married with the state yeah um and even like uh in different countries they have a very very similar thing sure um it, but in america america has a very very large separation between it uh and so in america uh, there is, you know, different denominations, different churches, all sitting in different spots, and they're not very united. And so other countries would even, like, in other, you know, Christians in other countries would kind of, like, look at that and not love it because mm-hmm. they would see, like, how, like, disunited America is and what different believers are thinking. And you yeah. look at uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who's a famous um, a famous uh, German, uh, a famous German uh, theologian and pastor, when he went to America, he had a, ra- a really bad experience at one church, and then he goes to an African-American church and has a really great experience. And he kind of was like, well, I love this one church. I don't like this one church. They need to get together. Like, or It's like he, he, he had a little bit of a hard time understanding – not understanding. He had a little bit of a hard time with that process of like the church not being together mm-hmm. um, because he was like, they're doing it right. They're doing it wrong. Um, and so here now with the charismatic movement, it kind of creates one of the first, eh, you know, there's been other opportunities, but one of the big opportunities for an ecumenical movement in America, where now cross denominationally, you are having us interact. And then at the same time, you have Billy Graham coming up and being all over the airwaves and you have, you know, like uh, you have different, you know, uh, television uh, preachers and radio preachers coming up. And now people are starting to become united in an in a awesome way that God's moving. And we are inheriting a lot of that today because yeah. of what happened during that process. Yeah. And we and we really value that. That's some, something that matters to us. But yeah, that's right. It's great. It gave it gave something which united people in a very real way. I mean, that was one of the things like when we were when we were talking with Pastor Trent, that was what was that, episode three? Something like that. Episode four, I think. Episode four. Um, 
we talked with him, and he's a part of a group of churches that our church is a part of. And really, I mean, that's what unites us is those that same charismatic um, worship style, belief in the gifts, stuff like that. We've got we've got a Baptist church, a, a Methodist church, our Wesleyan church, a Lutheran church, um, and uh, an Assemblies of God church, the OG Pentecostals. Oh, yeah. And we're all together, and that's what that's what brings us together. It's really cool. I love it. I think uh, it's been a a fun couple of years in it uh, where we've kind of just been stepping further into that process. Um, Yeah. Well, I think um, I think that gets us to today. Uh, And here we are today. um, And we have an opportunity to, you know, honor all of these people. But we also have the opportunity to sit here and Monday morning quarterback things for other folks. But as we think through, you know, how different churches started and all of those things, what my hope is, is that it brings us together in a movement that glorifies Christ, Mm -hmm. that makes the main thing, the main thing that keeps us on track with bringing heaven on earth, bringing God's kingdom here now. And if we can do that together, and run that run that race i mean gosh it, it, like the, the stories and adventures of our lives are going to be so much more fun than they could ever possibly be yeah come on yeah well kid you got you got anything else you want to uh, think we should touch on here no i don't think so i think i think that's good I, yeah that's a good a good spot to end because that's kind of the the most recent chapter in church history that's had a big impact on our our uh, our personal history so i think it's good yeah. If you guys want any homework um, at all after this, you can look up things like Azusa Street Revival. Mac sent me a text and told me that it was Adam Crooks uh, that was the, the pastor down there at Freedom Hill. So if you want to look up uh, the, that Freedom Hill on YouTube, it, it'll make you cry and feel <laughs> and get goosebumps. And, yeah, it's and, good. And, and feel ready. If you want to look up uh, a couple other things like um, there's a great book on a guy I mentioned named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, just called Bonhoeffer. Um, and I think uh, I think that, that all those different things, if you want to run down those rabbit trails of different revivals like Azusa Street Revival, recently revivals like the Brownsville Revival. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to run into um, the Toronto outpouring, that's another great thing for you guys to look up on your own. Um, all those things are come out of this movement and where we also here at our church, Difference Makers Church, we grab and we lay a hold to those things. So if you can understand more about Brownsville Revival or uh, both of the Asbury Revivals, the recent one and the one back in 1970, 1971, uh, if you want to look up any of those things, you'll get a better understanding of Difference Makers Church and kind of what we've been born out of here uh, in our heart on things. Yeah. All right. Well, me and KJ, uh, we don't pray out our podcast because we always have our guests pray out our podcast on these episodes. And since today uh, it's just me and KJ, we also have our good buddy Mac, who is our producer slash Googler. And he's going to pray us out <laughs> of our podcast. He's the Googler Mac. Why don't you go ahead and pray us out, Mac? All right. Well, <clears throat> Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this podcast and for Dom and KJ, uh, all that they're doing here. Um, and just, I thank you for their um, their thirst 
to uh, to know you uh, more, but also to you know help shed some light on on all this stuff, Lord. I um, you know even for me personally, I you know I don't know much about this, and and so I thank you for creating this space uh, that uh, we can learn from each other um, and grow in the faith more, God. So. Um, we just ask that you continue to bless this podcast um, and that uh, you would uh, just have your hands all over it um, and uh, whatever needs to happen comes from it and um, that lives would be changed. And, and like um, you know, Dom mentioned before, God, we just ask that um, we keep the main thing the main thing and that's uh, that Jesus is Lord and uh, we just honor you. We love you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.